Black and white and red all over. Ian Murta. He can talk football all day. Well, it's been an eventful few days for the big three of the Northeast, and it's a very important weekend for the three of them as well. Three tough games. But I think there is only one place to start, and that's I want to pay tribute to Tony Mowbray. I've lost I lost count many, many years ago how many managers I've dealt with over the years, but Tony Mowbray is one of the best when it comes to integrity. He's a decent man, he's an honest man. And I think the overriding emotion when the news came out that he'd been sacked, and I'm not just talking among Sunderland fans, obviously Middlesbrough fans hold him close to the heart as well, but also Newcastle fans. I think there was sadness. It reminded me just a little bit of, of when Sir Bobby Robson went. Now, I'm not comparing their the managerial achievements, but you know, I think that Tony Mowbray, he earned the respect of the football fraternity because I want to say he's a good human being and I'd like to wish him well for the future I'm, I hope and I think he's still got quite a contribution to make to uh, football in this country yeah I mean it, it there was there was a, a lot of shock wasn't there and we you know we've had a couple of messages in tonight um yeah. Colin from Sunderland said it was a shocking decision uh do they realistically think they're going to get better than Mogga at Sunderland uh Andy said that he's lost all the faith in Speakman uh and all of those behind the club I'm in despair he said Darren, I, I would I would slightly disagree with that because much as I'd have liked Tony Mowbray to stay I do believe, Christian Speakman, that there is a strategy at Sunderland. Mm. Now, clearly, the, the relationship had been unravelling. Uh, Tony Mowbray wasn't as as taken in by the model as Christian Speakman and the board were. So I'm not in despair because I don't think this was a case of, of the board lashing out very suddenly without any plans ahead. I th- so I think that they they think they know what they're doing so it is it is different although i'd say i i am i'm very sad that he that he's gone uh but anyway we're, we're not just going to be talking about the sunderland situation mm-hmm. i was at a, a fascinating uh, press conference with uh at, at middlesbrough yesterday michael carrick talking about his the visit of his very good friend K- uh, kieran mckenna mm-hmm. the ipswich manager of course there were yeah. all these uh, Oli uh, Gunnar Solskjaer's coaches at Manchester United and uh, Michael came out with absolutely memorable, memorable quotes it's one of the quotes of the season when we asked him, you know, well, how well do you know each other's games, he said we worked in each other's pockets for so long at United, we kind of emptied each other's football brains onto each other so <laughs> so as it would be fascinating at the Riverside tomorrow because you know, they will be trying to second-guess each other. Then, of course, you've got Newcastle, and um, last night, a lot of people say it was down to fatigue that Newcastle lost the game. I've got another reason why they lost. Newcastle are arguably the Premier League's best pressing side. They don't allow sides to build from the back. Now, Everton don't build from the back because they like to get the ball into the opposition territory as quickly as possible from... Jordan Pickford's excellent left foot to the defenders and Newcastle didn't have the chance really to put pressure on, on the on the Everton defence. There was one moment I know in the uh, 
I think it was in the second half when uh, Tarkowski's loose control presented a chance to Anthony Gordon. But uh, yeah, it, I thought Everton had done the homework on Newcastle pretty well and they ran out deserved winners. Now, my first guest, he's had a very, very busy week. I tried to contact him all day Wednesday just to set up this show. And I think he worked a 15-hour day, which puts sports journalists to shame. Uh, and yesterday, I know he was down at Merseyside and will have got back in the early hours again. If any of our listeners are looking for last-minute Christmas presents, well, it's not last-minute, is it? But if they're looking for Christmas presents with a football theme, then Mick Edmondson is the man to contact. Mick is the owner of the Backpage football merchandise shop. He opened the Newcastle branch just a few hundred yards from St. James's Park 20 years ago this month and there's another branch opened in the Metro Centre and it's not just for Newcastle fans it's for it's for football fans who across the land really who who are up here wanting to buy some stuff so I'm delighted to mention there uh, to welcome Mick onto the show and I think the first question has got to be how are you feeling Mick after the week you've had <laughs> Hi Ian, uh, thanks for inviting us on. Um, shattered, absolutely shattered. Um, I bet I'm you are. The I'm at the Metro Centre shop as we speak, the back page in the Metro Centre in the office. Um, I didn't get back uh, from Liverpool uh, until about four o'clock this afternoon. The traffic was horrendous, left at 11 um, and the traffic was really bad getting back. Um, so yeah, a bit busy week, um, but it's always busy this time of year. But I think this year, obviously, with the Champions League, um, we've got, um, and still in the League Cup, it's a bit more hectic. Um, before last night, I had six away games in the space of 30 days, I think. Wow. Um, no. and, th- and three of those are London as well. So I'm back down yes. with Spurs on Sunday. Then we've got Luton and Chelsea. That's all before No Christmas, rest for the wicked. Know? No rest for the it's wicked. Not, it's Listen, not. But I love we'll, it. I love we'll it. Talk- Good. We'll we'll talk about the football later. I'd, I'd like I'd like to just talk about your business, and I think it's important. With our 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 listeners stretch from Berwick right down to Teesside, and so and there'll be hopefully a lot of Sunderland fans and Middlesbrough fans tuning in as well as Newcastle fans. Now they they perhaps not in Derby Week, but uh, they are assured of a, a warm welcome in, in your two shops, aren't they? Despite them being on Tyneside. Yeah, that's correct. I mean, um, the back page is obviously it's predominantly Newcastle. We're obviously based in the Castle City Centre and Gateshead, so it is predominantly Newcastle United. Um, be silly not to be, really. But mm-hmm. um, we do sell other club stuff. Unfortunately, Sunderland and Middlesbrough don't outsource stock. So mm-hmm. if you know Sunderland official club crest, there's only a few items we're uh, able to get a hold of like metal signs and bits and pieces. But in Middlesbrough, don't outsource it at all. So we come up with some of our own designs. Obviously, right. not infringing copyright. So um, we've got a lot of uh, prints for Sun in Middlesbrough. Um, we do our own mugs and stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, we do every club. I mean, um, you know, I mean, every club that licenses stuff out. So everything from Barcelona, Juventus, uh, Bayern Munich to abroad. To Celtic mm-hmm. Rangers and then around England, Wolverhampton Wanderers, Aston Villa, all the big clubs. Um, but Leeds are similar to Middlesbrough, so they don't outsource this stuff either. And currently, mm-hmm. Newcastle United don't. Um, and that's nothing to do with the new ownership. That is a deal that Mike actually struck up with Castor. 
Um, so any official nicotinate products we have in the store is stock that we've had for a long time. And when we knew it was going, you know, like belly up, so to speak, um, managed to get what stock was available in the storage, you know. Um, well, I'll be, I'll so be visiting your shops. Yep. I was going to say I'll, yeah. I'll be visiting your shops. And, you know, there's books of every club from Aberdeen down to, down to Wolverhampton Wanderers. And uh, are, are you stocking... Yeah. Um, Bob Bob Murray's book because I know Bob Murray is uh, donating all proceeds to the Sunderland Foundation and he's raised right. seventy five thousand trying to get up to a hundred thousand but it's I haven't seen it in 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 a lot of booksellers. Are you allowed to sell that book as well? To be honest, I'm unaware of that. I mean, we've probably right, got right. we've got every type that's in print that's available, um, and we pride ourselves on that. No matter which club. Or, um, you know, so everything from, you know, York City to Aberdeen, like you say, but um, mm-hmm. we, we, we've got every in-title, in-print book in stock and more as well. Um, but if you go into somewhere like Waterstones, they'll have, say, 25, 30 titles on football, yeah. you know, maybe it's 40 titles. And we've got over, well, thousand, over a thousand, you know, two thousand. Yes, I've noticed. Um, I'd like to ask you, I'd like to ask you generally yeah. about your merchandise, mate, because... I mean, you know, you sell DVDs, programs, etc. I'd like to ask you because, you know, in in music terms and and films, DVDs, there's been a sharp decline because of streaming and Netflix, etc. Now, are DVDs just as popular at your shop? The you know, no, the famous Hawaii Five O for for argument's sake, just (laughs) to to put one out of there. No, well, for for instance, the Hawaii Five or the Five Nil against Man United. Mm-hmm. Um, the twentieth of October, nineteen ninety-six. <laughs> Never forget that day. But that Etched was on your mind, on, <laughs> and that was available on DVD. But unfortunately, that's been long gone. Um, mm-hmm. And the Barcelona three-two never ever came out on DVD. Believe it or not. Um, but DVDs, well, to be honest with you, we stopped selling them in the Metro Centre store. We sell them in the Nicasiel store, um, right. and we've got a good range. But again, it's very, very rare that we sell a DVD these days. Right. Very rare. Now, I'd like to ask you about programmes, and partly it's from a selfish reason, mate, because my brother and I, as kids, we we got a, bought, bought programmes. And then I think the... And we thought we had a valuable collection, but I think when the internet and eBay came along, the, the value of so many of them went through the floor, didn't they? And, but, and yet, programmes yeah. are still very much a big part of your business, aren't they? They are, they are. Um, obviously, collectors um, have got the majority of homes and aways. They're looking for mm. rare friendlies, home and away, rare European aways. Um, and some, you know, different, you know, some programs come out in different covers and whatnot. But um, yeah. we, we do really, really well with programs. It's still a massive, massive interest to everybody, really. Um, and as long as the clubs keep the programs going, I think this will be the case. Um, I know there's one or two clubs, lower league clubs, that don't print a programme anymore. I know Carlisle um, stopped doing it last season, which was very sad. Right, is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it is sad, but um, I mean, the youth of today, the youngins coming through, they, they, they don't want to collect records. They don't want to collect things on the shelves that, like we used mm-hmm. to have. Like, you know, I've got a huge record collection, I've got a big programme collection. We yeah, were hoarders. Yeah, what we, we were hoarders, but now. But now the youth of today, they just want everything on the phones. They're minimalist. You know? I think uh, minimalist is min- the word we're looking for, Mick, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> minimalistic, yeah. It's, it's, it's sad, it's sad. Um, I agree. I mean, 
you know, it is. It's really sad. But um, there's a lot of things in the world that have changed that um, I think you know, people think for the better, but I don't, you know. I just, I'm still a mm. mode collector. Yep. Um, but well, yeah. But funny enough, I mean... Really well. Good and rec- records actually. I mean, I've started, I've started getting my Led Zeppelin, my Neil Young, and my Pink Floyd back on the new vinyl, and, and my kids who are all under th- thirty or just under, you know, they're they're now buying vinyl as well. They like it, so, so there is hope for the future. There is hope for the future. There is, there is. I'd, yeah, I'd like yeah. to turn to, to the match days now. I, I've always thought the back page is one of the one of those places which helped the fraternity of rival football fans because I would imagine when you get if Newcastle are playing Arsenal or whether they're playing Liverpool yeah. whoever I would get I would imagine you'll get an awful lot of uh, fans from the away away team visiting your shop it's a, it's amazing over the last 20 years we've built up some great relations with a lot of yeah. fans um, the London clubs um, um, especially Arsenal Tottenham Chelsea West Ham um, we'll get lots of visitors from there you know um, lads who've been coming in the shop for years and years and years. Mm. We get um, authors who come in who follow these clubs. Um, they're over the moon when they come in to see the the books on the shelf, you know. Um, mm. But yeah, it's it, it is it's and it's especially we get a lot of European visitors. Not so much when the relegation season when we're in the championship, but when you in a Premier League game, you know, if you're German and you want to go and watch mm-hmm. Premier League football. Newcastle's a great city to come watch it. It's vibrant. It's party city, and they can come and have a great weekend and take in a Premier League match. So, say Newcastle are playing Tottenham or Chelsea or Man United, or Arsenal, some of the bigger clubs, then Man City, Man United. You, you, they don't necessarily come to support the other team. They come to enjoy a Premier League game. But obviously, yes. that's getting harder to get tickets for now. Um, but we get lots of visitors from all over the world coming to the city. Um, it's amazing some of the people. I mean, going back to the supporters who visit, I mean, the likes of um, Ben Elton, he's an Arsenal fan. He co- he's been in a few times, you know, when the really? Arsenal are playing up here. Yeah, yeah. Ben Elton, fantastic. Um, he gets so many. We've had Olympic gold medalists in the shop. We must fantastic. have had over four or 500 oh, footballers from, you know, when I opened it 20 years ago, I never dreamt. I mean, um, Peter Reid's been in the shop. Peter Reid's one of the nicest blokes you could ever wish to meet. Oh, um, honestly, class, yeah. what a lovely, lovely man he is. We've had Steve Harmison, we've we've had um, Glenn McCrory, we've had boxers, we've had Greg Rutherford, um, we've Fantastic. had actresses, actors. It's just, it's you don't know who's going to walk in the door next. It is. It's just such a joy. It, it must joy. give you a lot of fill, fill you with a lot of pride. It does pride. I think we're adding something to the city. Um, mm-hmm. you I know, agree. I, I do think. I think it's. You know, I mean, there's nothing like it anywhere in the world. Um, there's you used to have sports pages in London where I half pinched the idea from. Um, yes, but they, I remember going there as a kid. London, yeah. yeah, well, I did a fanzine called Two Army News, and I put mm. that in there um, way back in the, the early nineties. And I used to visit when Newcastle played in London. I used to go and look through, but I always felt that all they ever did was um, books and. Fanzines, they never yeah. had T-shirts, really. They yeah. never had hardly yes. any DVDs, back in the day of videos. Um, didn't have any framed pictures. So I used to supply them with framed pictures of different clubs. Did you really? Um, right? I've, yeah, you know, I always think, you know, the idea. 
Newcastle, you know, you, you've got the shop. I've always felt that uh, Sunderland and Middlesbrough have been at the forefront of the fanzines. I mean, the Love Supreme is an yes. outstanding yes. fanzine, and it, it's still going yes. in paper form, as is uh, Fly Me to the Moon, ironically named after Tony Mowbray. And uh, yeah. I was at the Middlesbrough press conference yesterday, and uh, Rob Nichols goes to all the press conferences. He's, he's yes, so I've, devoted, and I'm I've hoping to have him on my shows. Over the years, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he's a really nice lad, and I, I always think it's a pity that the uh, the Newcastle fanzines drop their paper versions because, you know, yeah. let, let's face it, fanzines are there to be to be read when you're sitting on the loo, aren't they? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I totally agree there. I'm not an online person for reading, to be honest with you. When I go on holiday, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I still I still buy books, you know, physical yeah. books. I think every a lot of people do, to be honest with you. Um, you know, it was a worry few years ago when the um, the dig what they called the I forgot what they called now the the digital books you buy what they called Kimble, um, so it was e-books. Kim, Kim, uh, e-books, but then the e-books, okay, yeah, yeah. Kimble, I'm like you. Called. I'm like you. I, I like a good hardback <laughs> book. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But um, yeah, so it's it's just so interesting, you know. It's just so interesting. Um, I, fi- I find I find it. I find it fascinating, and and I would urge anyone, whatever whatever the lead you to, to pop into one of your two shops because I'm guaranteed whether they're red and white, black and white, or somewhere in between, they'll they'll find something yeah. they like. Now, anyway, let's let let's turn to something possibly you don't want to talk about quite so much. Last night, now Newcastle were well right. beaten, weren't they? they? Well, they were. Um, I'm disappointed with the performance, but at the same time. We're playing the same eleven players week after week after. Well, it's not week after week. It's it's half week after half week. Um, oh, it's tough, yeah. And we can't change things. We can't, like you mentioned there before, about they play the long ball, Everton. Um, but like you know, I mean, last season we're playing the long ball and we beat them five one. You know, I think it's we've got nothing mm. on the bench to come on. Nick Pope's a big miss, and I did say this to people. Um, you know, he's going to be a big miss. It's his, his presence at the back four. You know, and behind the back four, his presence. Um, why is Hall not playing? Why is Hall not playing? Hall. Because Livermore and uh, Trippi have been brilliant, you know, outstanding. I mean, but he, he, can play, he can play midfield as well, can't he? You know? Yeah. So, yeah. I, just, um, you know, because I, I think I think I've had a stat saying in the last four games, the substitutes collective tally of minutes has been 25 which is quite staggering you know it is so staggering. The, 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 these 10 outfield players my goodness they, they've put in a shift and it is beginning to tell although as I say you know just like Eddie Howe isn't going to use fatigue as too much of a factor I, I think a lot of it was that Sean Dyche who I've got a lot of a lot of time for I think he got his tactics right and I, I would imagine mm-hmm. one or two managers will look at that Everton performance and realise that the way to negate the Newcastle pressing tactic is to get the ball into the, into the opposition half as quickly as possible. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when you're missing your goalkeeper, um, Dan Burns missing, Botman's missing just out the back five. You've got three to back five missing, you know. Um, but... I, I, See, I, last night, I am disappointed, but at the same time, I totally understand. I came out the ground... And you know it wasn't it was nil nil with eleven minutes to go. Yeah, you know, was, and we missed for chances. You know, I, Isaac could have, Isaac could have scored, um, Gordon could have scored, Miggy could have scored. 
Um, so, you know, I don't think Everton ran away with it, but they did deserve to win. I'm not saying they didn't deserve to win, but I don't think it was a 3-0 game. Maybe it's a 1-0 no, it game. Uh, I, I, would, I would agree there. I, I want to ask you this, Mick, because yeah. I know a lot, of, a lot of Newcastle fans call Everton the Scouse Mackhams, and there's this, there's this sort of, I, I guess it's new trend of hating Everton. Now, I've always had a soft spot for Everton. I, I think it's one of yeah. my favourite grounds, and I think the atmosphere at Goodison Park is as close to the northeast grounds as I've ever encountered. So, I, as I say, I've, right since I was a kid, I've always liked Everton. What about you? Right, right. Uh, I, I disagree with Nelly, everything you've said, unfortunately. Go on. Right, um, okay, okay. I think the first time Everton sang last night was the 79th minute when they scored. Um, I was there last season. The stadium was empty um, with about 25 minutes to go. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I'd be, the thing is with Goodison Park, we never, ever play them away on a Saturday. We never, ever play them at home on a Saturday. Um, a I think we played them at home on a Saturday under when COVID, when we couldn't get there. It, it was just, and, that's right. It was Graham Jones' yeah, first game 12. alongside Steve Bruce. Yeah, that's right, yeah. It was an early kickoff on the Saturday. And, yeah. I mean, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, I'm probably wrong, but the last time I can remember going there on the Saturday was way back, probably 2010-11, when Hatton Benz Arthur scored that great goal at the Gladys Street end. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, we won 1-0. Um, we're nearly always seem to play them. I mean, we played them on Thursday last year. It's Thursday this year, or it's around about Christmas time at home. It yeah. never seems to be on a Saturday. Um, it's but strange they, how this works it's, out. It's, it's, that's know, new, well, isn't it? Uh, well, um, well, no, because back in the day, I mean, it's hard to say because I've got a lot of friends in Liverpool. Um, mm. I mean, I was drinking with a couple of Everton lads uh, yesterday afternoon and last night before the game. Um, and then, unfortunately, well, fortunately, they were on night shift last night, so they had a couple of pints before the game, then they didn't meet us afterwards, so I was quite pleased about that. Um, but, yeah, it's just, um, I, I think the Jordan Pickford thing doesn't help, you know. For of course, of course. You know, I don't think that helps things. Um, but I, it's, it, it's, it's one of those where I think somebody's just come up with this house Matham thing and it's stuck. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I mean, I don't hate them, but I don't like them either. And it's not one mm-hmm. of my favourite grounds. I mean, I was in the Upper Bullens last night, and I was last season, and the view was shocking last night. Um, actually, well, for a six for two journalist, the press the press box isn't too comfortable either. But but yeah. it, it is iconic in a way. Listen, before you go, and it's been fantastic talking yeah. to you, Mick. I'm going to ask you to do one, possibly easy thing and two very hard things I'm going to ask you first of all for your prediction for Newcastle's trip to Spurs on Sunday but I'm yeah. also like I ask every guest whatever their allegiance their predictions for Middlesbrough and Sunderland so we'll go to Newcastle first against a Spurs side who haven't won in five games What what's the score going to be then? Oh, no it's actually it's one point out of 18 they've got um, so one I out think of six that's Sunday, right yeah Right, uh, um, 1.6 game. So I think on Sunday, half four kickoff, I think Tottenham Hotspur reserves one, Newcastle <laughs> United <laughs> reserves one. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Right. Now, let, 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 let's see how narrow minded you are, Mick. Sunderland right. against West Brom, lunchtime kickoff. Lunchtime kickoff, early kickoff, um, just like the Derby's going to be. Yes. Um, Sunderland 1, West Bromwich Albion 2. 
interesting. And Middlesbrough against high flying Ipswich. I reckon it'll be a draw. I think Middlesbrough would get a draw there. I think Middlesbrough two, Ipswich two. Do you know what? My predictions are pretty close to yours. I'm going for three draws. I don't think I've done that this season, but I think right. all three of our teams will will get a point, and uh, that wouldn't uh-huh. be a bad result for any of them, to be honest. So, uh, listen, Mick, it's yeah. been fantastic. Uh, how long are you working till tonight? Well, shop shuts at nine. I'll probably be here at about eleven, I think. Then back my first thing in the morning. It's it's oh. crazy this time of year, you know. It's um, yeah, you know, and I'm away to Tottenham on Sunday as well. And I've, you know, I've had a couple of days down in Liverpool, so yeah, get the hours in tonight and um, make sure all the stocks on the shelves for everybody for the weekend. Fantastic. Well, you so, might not get your reward in London on Sunday, but you should get it in heaven. So take care. Thanks very much, Ian. Thank you. All bye. the best, Mick. Bye bye. Bye bye. All the best. Bye. Smashing. This is oh, black and white oh. and red all over with Ian Merton. Well, that's yeah. It's it, it, you know. The, I remember as a, as a kid going to uh, there was there were fans from Newcastle and Middlesbrough used to go to Roker Park because there was a program shop just behind the Roker yeah. end. Uh, there was a guy called Phil Curtis ran it, and it, that was that was like this treasure trove of football memorabilia as well. I've always been fascinated by it, so that was I, I really enjoyed talking to Mick there, uh, Dan. No worries, and um, we've got another guest coming up after the sports news. We have. It's uh, Simon O'Rourke of Time Tees, who is an outstanding journalist who has incredible knowledge on all three of our teams. So I'm looking forward to having a good chat with him. Well, we'll have a chat with Simon uh, about all things North East football right after this. clients choose Ather and Co. Very diligent, very caring, put themselves in my shoes. Always informed me, kept me up to date of what was going on. Didn't feel I had anything to worry about and I had nothing to do other than turn up for a medical. Ather's did the rest. For the full story, see athers.co.uk forward slash reviews. Choose the one you know, Ather and Co. Just give Elton John. Hi, this is Lionel Richie. This is not just any old 80s show. Join me for 80s Mint. Two hours of the best 80s music and memories. Right here, every Saturday night from 9 and Mondays from 6. The Red Sport Update. Masters champion John Rahm has joined the Saudi-funded breakaway Lyft Golf. The Spaniard had gone on record to state his heart was with the PGA Tour and that the 54-hole format held no appeal to him and hinted he'd turned down an offer of 400 million US dollars. He told the Lyft Golf channel why he's now making the move. I think the innovation and, and the vision of Live Golf is what push me over to at least give it a chance and, and hear the pitch out. 
Ange Postacoglu says Tottenham could be set for another blow, with his senior assistant coach Chris Davies yet to make a decision over the vacant Swansea job. Spurs rejected an approach from Swansea to speak to Davies earlier this week, but the Welsh outfit haven't given up hope of hiring him. Ex-Celtic and Leicester coach Davies was on the touchline for Tottenham's 2-1 home loss to West Ham yesterday, which made it four defeats in five. And there'll be a 7.30 inspection at Sandown tomorrow morning ahead of day two of the Betfair Tingle Creek Festival. Significant rain is forecast tonight. Black and white and red all over. He can talk football all day. Ian Murtagh. The road, the cat and the tin. Well, my next guest is well known to listeners from Berwick all the way down to Teesside. It's a, a tiny tease, Simon O'Rourke, and I'm delighted to have him on, to, on my show for the first time. Simon, welcome. Another quiet week in the world of Northeast football, eh? Hardly had anything to do this week, Ian. Don't know about you. <laughs> Listen, a lot to talk about. I opened the show. I wanted to pay my own personal tribute to one of my favourite ever managers, Tony Mowbray. I know he was one of your favourites too. You've dealt with almost as many managers as I have. I'll give you a minute to just pay tribute to Tony. Uh, Well, as I'm sure you've probably already said, um, he is actually as nice as everybody tells you he is. Uh, He's just a really, really good person. He's honest. Uh, He's got a better football brain than sometimes people give him credit for. And, and, and to explain what I mean by that, the dour centre-back idea and the grumpy old man thing isn't the actual reality of the football he plays. But he's just a, a, a proper human being, I thought, in his most recent post that has just come to an end. Uh, he did an outstanding job last season. This season, it was harder for him. But there was a lot of circumstances at play that led to Monday night's announcement, while at the time feeling a bit shocking, probably maybe not being quite as shocking as it seemed on the surface. Mm, good word, Simon. Well, let, let's stay with Sunderland at the moment. And I know people, including many, many Sunderland fans, don't know who Michael Dodds is. He, uh, he had a pretty... Um, uh, unimpressive tenure as caretaker manager in between the sacking of Lee Johnson and the appointment of uh, Alex Neal at the beginning of 2022. But he feels a lot more confident now. He knows the players well. They know him well. And he believes that uh, despite the trauma of a popular manager going, Sunderland will be in a good frame of mind tomorrow. What do you think? Well, I was at his press conference today and he was very confident. He came across very well. I've often mm-hmm. thought that one of the most thankless tasks for people in football is being the caretaker manager and being stuck in front of microphones and journalists because you don't know if you're there for one game, three games, ten games. You don't really know quite what to say. You don't know whether to say nice things or nasty things about, about the person who's just left. Obviously, today that was easy. He did say nice things about Tony Mowbray. He did come across well. He did make reference to his previous short spell as interim Mm -hmm. manager at Sunderland, and he said it's actually spurring him on because he wants to do better. He feels he's a better better football person since then. Um, He's certainly quite confident about it. He said that the players were very professional about the events of the week, um, and he's looking forward to the game. Do you know, I was just look, looking back on, on my journalistic career, how many caretakers up here have, have become permanent managers. And I can think of only two, Simon. Uh, most recently was uh, the uh, Glenn Roder, God rest his soul, who 
throughout his uh, interim tenure at Newcastle, kept insisting he didn't want the job, and uh, he ended up getting it and doing a remarkable job, I think, taking Newcastle in, into Europe. And the other one was way back with, uh, in 1992 when Dennis Smith got sacked at Sunderland. Bob Murray had Neil Warnock lined up to take his uh, to take over, but Malcolm <laughs> Crosby did so well in his first two or three games that Neil Warnock thought, "I'm not going to take that." And Malcolm uh, was reluctantly handed the job by Bob Murray. <laughs> Absolutely, I think Malcolm's the the sort of top of the charts on that, isn't it? I can I can give you a mm. couple more. One, would on. you say that Chris Hewton was a caretaker manager? Ooh, that, that, that's a difficult one. You, 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 never, you never knew with Mike Ashley, did you? I mean, my friend John Carver was given the job, but John, John always says, I was I was a manager. I was given a contract yeah. till, till the end of the season. So it, it, I think uh, it, was, it was the murky world, the world of Newcastle managers under Mike Ashley. I think I, I'm not so sure about that. It's a good question. I know that was that was a tough one. If you remember, that was the summer when Alan Shearer had been in charge and was expecting yes. a phone call, but basically there was no phone call. And as I understand it, Mike Ashley just didn't bother appointing a manager, so so Chris just did the job really. Mm, that's um, right. The, the other the other one, there was another one at Sunderland. Do you remember Ricky Sprazier? Of course, of of course. I mean, that was when Roy Keane walked out, wasn't it? And Rick yeah. started off, I think, very, very well. But by the end, he he knew it wasn't for him, and he he almost faded into the background, didn't he? He he was a reluctant um, front man. I always thought. Oh, absolutely. I, I I don't I don't remember if you were there at the game, but you their last game of the season where they just stayed up, and Niall Quinn actually That's came right. in straight after the game and said. We want to thank Ricky for everything he's done, but but he will be stepping down from the role. That's, and I've never seen a man look so relieved. That's right. I think Steve Bruce took over after that. Am I right? Yes, I think it was uh, right, a few yeah. weeks later. But uh, Sunderland, I mean, it's I've, I always imagine Tony Mowbray with with four pieces of paper throwing them up in the air with the names of the four strikers on it, and whichever one landed on the ground first was who played. The, the four strikers had... You know, it's well documented now, Simon, that none of them have found the net yet and we're halfway through December. They were, they were much of a muchers. And if there is a footballing reason for the for his downfall, that, in essence, was it. Yes, it was. And it, it, it was his, his football instincts making him reluctant to actually stick with one because clearly he didn't actually think any of the four were up to the role of being Indeed. a central striker in the championship. Um so, yeah, I mean, it, it, it gets to the heart of the, the whole Sunderland matter, doesn't it? Sunderland have their plan, they have their model. And in some ways, after Sunderland have been basically a zombie club for the best part of 10 years, it's quite nice to talk about them in terms of having a plan and having a model. But they seem very absolutely, dogmatic yeah. about it. They, they absolutely stick to it. They, they won't deviate. That's why in the end, you know, the, the club with the youngest chairman in the division and the youngest squad and the oldest manager, something didn't quite sit right there. And, <laughs> I mean, depends how deep you want to get into it. But, you know, it, it's not the biggest surprise. The striker issue, though, it's another one where maybe the club sits back and, and feels sort of satisfied with themselves for the business they've done in the summer. But it, 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 it wasn't really giving an experienced manager what he needed to work with in a division that was going to be tougher than it was the season before because of the teams coming down. Well, that's right. And I think part of it was at the start of this year, of course, I think the, the, the Sunderland hierarchy 
saw that Sunderland were coping without a striker when Ross Stewart was was out and they were still scoring goals right through the team. Jack Clark, of course, Patrick Robert, etc. And they were thinking, well, well, we don't particularly need to splash out money on a striker, so let's just bring in a few young'uns. Yeah, it's that sort of situation. Now, this is not particularly having a go at the hierarchy at Sunderland. I think it's prevalent in quite a lot of football clubs and possibly beyond football in wider life as well. I think possibly the upper management sometimes look at things and think the things that have gone well, that that was us, and the things that have gone badly, well, that was someone else's fault. Mm. Now, the three legends were on before my show, and not one of them thought Sunderland are going to beat West Brom tomorrow. Uh, my earlier guest, who albeit is a Newcastle fan, Mick Edmondson, who's the owns the back page franchise, he doesn't think that they they're going to win. What about you? Uh, <laughs> um, well, <laughs> you don't yeah, either, do you, Simon? Uh, not really. No, um, I I I sort of thought a bit more positively after being in the press conference with Mike Dodds today because I, I do think he feels ready for the challenge ahead. He feels the squad are going to be ready. He feels the squad have been very professional about it. But I think mm-hmm. regardless of whether Tony was in charge tomorrow or whether it was Mike Dodds, that's a hard game. West Brom are it's ahead of Sunderland at the table. They've got a very good away record. Um, it's just it's tough. They've got, they've got a wily, clever manager. They've got a couple of extremely experienced championship players. They won at the stadium like last season. It, it's a tough one to point to the Black Cats and say, oh, I'd see that as a home win because it's been a topsy-turvy week, hasn't it? Look, Absolutely. I'd like to, I, I, I'd like to think that, that they play well tomorrow, but whether that's enough for them to win, I don't know. Well, I'm hoping for a lot of action on the pitch because as, as a print journalist who will be there, uh, I've covered Huddersfield Town when Carlos Corbran was in charge and and his English isn't the best and he's not the most quotable manager around. And of course, uh, national newspapers aren't particularly interested in the words of, of an interim boss either in, in Mike Dodd. So I'm hoping the action will fill a lot of my copy. And I, I'm personally, I'm going for a draw. I think uh, Sunderland will find it difficult to, to win. But, you know, they're still a good team, I believe. And I, I'm going for a 1-1 draw. I think the most ironic thing tomorrow, and perhaps in some ways the most obvious thing, would be if a Sunderland striker scores a goal. <laughs> yes, wouldn't it just? Wouldn't it just? Now, let, let, let's turn to Middlesbrough. And as I mentioned earlier on the show, I was at, the, at uh, Herworth yesterday. Fascinating press conference with Michael, Michael Carrick talking about his friendship, his relationship with Kieran McKenna, the Ipswich boss, who, of course, they worked in tandem alongside uh, Oli Gunnar Sunshot at uh, Manchester United, and they've kept in touch. He revealed that uh, before taking the job at Portman Road, Kieran rang him up asking for his advice and it was fascinating because there certainly will be no mind games at the Riverside tomorrow because as as Michael said they know each other's minds so well having grown up together in coaching circles well I mean absolutely isn't Ipswich one of the lovely stories of the football season so far as well they've been absolutely, oh, absolutely. brilliant I, I I was looking out some pictures today I, I, I just some PA pictures obviously we, we were doing this story as well and there's a great picture of Michael Carrick's at one side, Kieran McKenna's at the other side of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. There's also a mm. shot of them both on the training pitch with Jose Mourinho as well. There's a nice yes. shot of Michael Carrick hugging Kieran McKenna when that very, very brief spell when Michael was caretaker manager at Manchester United. I mean, they're obviously close. 
It's it's intriguing. I mean, you look at Kieran McKenna, and he's, I suppose you'd say, flavour of the month. I don't mean that in a flippant manner. Um, he's just doing so so well at the moment. But my, I, I mean, I'm really impressed with Michael Carrick in a coaching capacity, and you know, mm, he, he seems, he seems are, a good yeah. bloke as well. Um, yes. So I think it's a, I think it's a fascinating game in some ways because of Newcastle always take a bit of air out of the room and what's gone on at Sunderland this week. That they, in in some respect. That they've taken a bit of headlines this week, but I, I think this is the most interesting game in the northeast this weekend. I wouldn't disagree with you there. Now, if you were Michael Carrick, who would you play up front? Because Josh Colbert, he does an awful lot right. Latte Lat does an awful lot wrong, but looks a more likely goal scorer. And of course, he scored two at Allen Road last week in the three-two defeat. It's a, it's a tough one, isn't it? It certainly is. Um, good to see Latte Lat on the score sheet and scoring two goals in the game. That was fantastic. Um, <clears throat> if it was me tomorrow, I would start with Josh and possibly finish mm. with Emmanuel Latela. Um, because, it, you know, possibly get an hour, 65 minutes out of Josh and then hope for the, the slightly more wild card talents of Latela. Possibly if the game's level or they're winning or they're losing or whatever by one. That, that would possibly the way, be the way I would go. But I think it's difficult to drop a player after he scored twice last week. Do you know, that's very interesting because I think it was a couple of weeks ago I said exactly the same. I think Josh Coburn is someone who can, he can tire a defender. He, like a boxer, you know, he, he, can, he can give him the body shots and uh, he might not deliver the knockout blow, but he can wear him down. And then on comes Latte Lat, who's faster, sharper, but possibly with a, a looser technique who will, who will, yes, he'll get more chances, but he'll miss chances as well. And he, he is almost like the archetypal substitute, isn't he? Yeah, absolutely. And it's one thing I've become more interested in, in the last 10, 15 years with football tactics. And I see it in the way that, that managers do it as well. That the starting 11 is is not necessarily picked to be the finishing 11, if you know what I mean. It's like, well, I, I've got my starting 11 and my substitutes with which to win this football match. Mm, and therefore, yeah. this player, this player and this player is more used to me coming off the bench after 65 minutes. Yeah, I did, fascinating. And you're absolutely right about Emmanuel latte -Lab. I think at the moment, He's sort of crying out super sub almost at times. Yes, I agree. You've got to be careful there, Sam. You're beginning to sound like Eddie Jones with all his finishes. <laughs> but but <laughs> it's a, it is a valid point. You know, football is not an 11-side game anymore, is it? It's a, it's a, it's a, it is a squad game. So, what's, again, I'm going to sit on the fence. I've got a very sore bottom tonight. Uh, I'm going for another draw. I think, I think this one might be a 2-2 draw at the Riverside tomorrow. What about you? I like this one. I'm actually going to go Borough on this. Um, mm, interesting. I, I, I still, I still, in some respects, overall struggle to to see where I I think Borough are going to finish this season because uh, obviously bad start, purple patch, and now it's sort of evened out a bit. But actually, against the teams at the top, they they they've done pretty well. Um, they beat Leicester oh, they recently, yes. obviously. Yes. They, they they gave Leeds a good game. They they beaten Southampton. Um, I, I just I just fancy this one home advantage and obviously the two managers do know each other very well. Um, yeah, give me Borough on this one. Good. Now Newcastle uh, last night uh, they were pretty well beaten three 0 at Everton. I'm going I'm going to start off with a very tough question, Simon, because I think you'll give me a good answer. Now everyone knows Eddie Howe is an outstanding manager. He manages the team very well. Lately. Has he managed his players very well? Well, Newcastle is the only team who currently do play football with 11 men. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Uh, Great answer. I, so, 
I know what you're saying, and but I I think there's an element of hindsight. I think he would have had oh, to be indeed, almost I would clairvoyant. He, yes. he would have had to be almost clairvoyant to have thought a month and a half ago, I need to sit Bruno down for a couple of games or uh, Anthony Gordon needs a rest. Incident brackets, incidentally, I think Anthony Gordon needs a rest, but I'm not sure he can get one now. Um, I, I, it's tough. I, I, you could argue with one or two players, yes. You could argue with someone like Kieran Trippier, should you have trusted Livermento a bit earlier in the season and perhaps just not put as many minutes in Kieran Trippier's legs. But hmm. I, I, I think it, it's one of those situations where teams do occasionally come up against where, where the injuries just, just sort of, it becomes an epidemic and they get out of hand. And I'm struggling to see how he can change it for Sunday. Well, he can. He could make four changes, but then it looks like a League Cup team. Um, I, I don't really see what he could have done different because the injuries all came sort of quite close together. That's right. Lewis Hall's an interesting one. One, two fans are beginning to ask, why is he, why is he not playing or at least coming off the bench? Yeah, it, it's interesting one. Obviously, he's not really played a lot. I mean, he, he scored he that eye-catching goal in the League Cup win at Man United. Um, but especially the last couple of games, you, you do ask yourself. So on that one, that is, that, that is a, a, a thing that you can say to Eddie Howe and say, well, is that something that you, you could have used to alleviate the pressure on bodies but I mean if it was me I would play him on Sunday I, I looked at their bench last night after the game and I was thinking about I mean that that team is, is crying out for a refresh and, and, and a few people to sit down of before course. the Milan game in the middle of the week but I mean realistically he could put in Kraft, Dummett, Richie and Lewis Hall and if it yes. was me I'd put them all in on Sunday would you really? So you, are you prioritising the Milan game ahead of the Spurs game, Simon? I would do that football manager thing where you say, absolutely, I'm not prioritising the Milan game ahead of the Spurs game. But <laughs> yes, I would be prioritising the Milan game ahead of the Spurs game. Yeah. That, that's interesting. I mean, Dummett might have to play because LaSalle went off with a with a dead leg in the, in the closing stages at Goodison Park. And of course, dead legs, a lot, a lot of people minimise the, the impact of them. But in, in the case of Pierre Equa at Sunderland, I think he was out for four or five weeks with a, with a dead leg. And uh, so there's a possibility Dummett could play. And Dummett was outstanding in the, in the Carabao Cup game against Manchester City at centre-half. And you know he he's he's not a he's not a Beckenbauer type defender, but my goodness, if your backs to the wall, Paul Dummett's a very useful player to have on the side, and and I certainly wouldn't be too concerned if he had to play. Kraft, I don't think Eddie Howe will replace Kieran Trippier at left back at, at right back. Sorry, I just don't think it's his style to to make a scapegoat out of someone who's been so outstanding and then makes a couple of mistakes. Yeah, I see what you're saying. I hadn't thought of that. You're quite right. Um, I, I don't think he'd be doing it as a scapegoat, but, I, but Eddie Howe is very aware of perception and mm -hmm. he might well think factor that in. I think, you, yeah, I think you make a good point there. I, I asked Eddie Howe, I was at the press conference on Wednesday ahead of the Everton game, did he consider Livramento someone who could, a bit like Alexander Hall, um, Alexander Arnold, who could push into midfield? Because 
not only is he so talented, and my goodness, aren't we all impressed with him, but he's so adaptable as well. I mean, you'd think he's left-footed the way he's, he's slotted in at left-back in place of Dan Byrne. But I, I was just wondering, could he play in midfield as well? I don't think he will, uh, by the, judging by the answer that Eddie gave. But he's an outstanding player, Livermento, isn't he? Yeah, uh, I think they've got an absolute diamond there. Um, mm. I wonder why they didn't use him earlier. I mean, I, you can possibly say just the outstanding form of the likes of Kieran Trippier and Dan Byrne. But um, yes. yeah, he, he he does look an absolute diamond. And I think it's an interesting theory that he could play in midfield. I mean, didn't he actually have a spell of a game where he, where he actually played sort of wide, even further forward than I, that? I think, I think he is that, one of those I players, think... yeah. That's right, and Lewis Hall. I think he has he has played in midfield for Chelsea, and I think didn't he play in midfield for Newcastle in the game against Manchester City in the League Cup? I think he might have. Yeah, we started but, there. He only made it to half time. They made a couple of changes. That's right. Yes, he did start there. That's right. Let's have your opinion on on Lewis Miley because he it's seventeen years old. He was only you know he's. He's only just 17 and a half and, you know, we've seen Chris Riggs score his first goal for Sunderland and he's an outstanding talent. Isn't it wonderful to have two of the most promising youngsters in the whole country, ours, up in the, in the north northeast? Yes, it is. We should say as well, I mean, obviously there's been a couple of debuts at Middlesbrough as well recently. It's a, it is good times for this. But to talk about Lewis, uh, strangely enough, I, I met his dad in Milan on the first Champions League right. game. His dad was a lovely fellow. And at that time, Lewis wasn't playing, but his, his dad was quite calm about the situation and hoping he would get his chance. And then obviously his chance has come along. Um, look, I'm reluctant to go knee-jerk over the top on young players. I would say the same about Chris Rigg at Sunderland. Uh, I would say the same about the guys at Middlesbrough. But mm. Lewis Miley, the way that he has come in and played in high-stakes games and just done a job without fuss is so so impressive um particularly I, I was fortunate enough to be in paris the other week the way he played there he was absolutely magnificent like look don't get me wrong bruno is kind of the midfield captain if you know what i mean but he yes. just did everything he was asked and he, he was doing the intricate stuff he was doing the, the sort of pressing on command the way the way he hits a pass he drives a pass he doesn't, he doesn't just knock a pass 15 yards. He drives passes into the feet. He looks to have everything. As I say, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. But at the moment, it, other than injury or just sheer fatigue, how would you get him out of that team? He, he, just, he, he looks kind of to the man of born at the minute. It's the opposition Newcastle have played. He's come in and he's been played in powers, played against Chelsea, Manchester United. OK, Manchester United weren't very good. I love the fact he's prepared to receive the ball in traffic and he, no matter how many players are around him, he's got that so well-honed technique. He's got time and space on the ball, you know. I can always remember, Simon, years ago, I think it was Paul Bracewell, who he classified midfielders as 90, 180 and 360 midfielders. By that, he meant, he always said, an average midfielder will only look one way. He said... A good midfielder will look two ways. An outstanding midfielder would do the full circle, look 360 degrees. And that's what you see in Lewis Miley. And he's 17 years old. I couldn't agree more. I really like that from Paul Bracewell as well. I think that's a brilliant description of a good midfielder. Mm. 
He was clever. He was very clever. Let's let's talk about the Spurs game. I mean, uh, Postacoglu, he has made an impact. He looked as if he had the Midas touch before the injuries hit Spurs. And as Mick Edmondson, my previous guest, said when I asked him for a prediction, he said, you want a prediction for Tottenham reserves against Newcastle reserves, which I thought was, was quite apt. Two understrength sides, two sides who are going to be nursing a few bruises as well. What's going to be happening then on uh, Sunday evening then, Simon? Uh, here, I'm, I'm going to adopt your position. I'm going to sit on the fence. I yes. think this Newcastle team is too mentally strong to capitulate in the way they did in the latter stages at Everton last night. Which is to say as well, let's not forget that it was it was the end of the game at Everton where it went wrong, not not the, the whole game. But I, I think that they're too strong. I think they're too well coached. I think there's too much talent, even with the injuries. I don't think they'll lose the game. On the other hand, I'm not sure they'll win it. So I, I, mm. I would put this one down as a draw. Yeah. One last question, because you've answered all the other ones so well. Dubravka, is he the, the right number one in Nick Pope's four-month absence? Or do you think Eddie Howe will have to go out and bring in, bring in another keeper? Let's wait and see. But if we're nearing the end of the time, let's get a little controversial. How many of those goals last night were going in if Nick Pope was in goal? I, I think all of them. I, not, I've looked again. I've heard some criticism of Depravka. I don't. I wouldn't blame him for any of them. It's, mm, it's, I, I suspect you think differently. I do. None were directly his fault. I think that that's completely obvious. I just think that uh, just sheer physical size, Nick Pope would have stopped the first one. And if the first one doesn't go in, do the second and third one go in? That's all. Mm-hmm. And look, I don't know. Dubravka in the past has, has proved himself a fine goalkeeper um, because of Nick Pope's excellence. He lost his place at Newcastle. He went on loan. He's come back. Doesn't make him a bad goalkeeper. I, I think that there are bigger considerations for Newcastle with whatever financial outlay they're allowed to make by FFP in January. I, I wouldn't potentially be looking for a goalkeeper I because I think between him and between Carrius, you've got to be able to make that work. I would think so. Now, will I be seeing you in about 16 hours' time at the Stadium of Light, Simon? You will. Um, as I said, I, I actually genuinely would probably prefer from a football point of view to be at the Riverside tomorrow, but we do go where the crises are, don't we? And we've had plenty of them over the years. <laughs> and many more around the corner, Ian, I'm sure. I'm sure as well. Well, it's been as enjoyable as I knew it would be. So thank you very much, Simon, and look forward to having you on the show some other time. Uh, Ian, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks, Simon. Simon. Uh, two excellent guests. Yeah. I've enjoyed that. I've enjoyed that chat, and I hope our listeners have as well. Absolutely. Uh, this is the cat, the tune, and the red. Um, and we are black and white and red all over. It's been quite a week, Ian, in northeast football. Um, yeah, I mean, the legends were, 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 they were all over with their predictions, let's say. Um, I, I'm, I'm just hoping for, for some wins this weekend. Um, are you still I sitting on the think fence? We'll get- I'm still, it's it's not so much sitting on the fence. You get better odds on a draw than you do on a, on a win. Uh, but no, I, I suspect that they might all come away with a point. But you know, I was just thinking. Uh, I started in uh, northeast sports journalism. 
back in uh, in eighty six, and I can't recall a season when a, the first sacking has been in December. You know, last year of course we had Chris Wilder and uh, Sunderland have been a sacking manager with a monotonous reg- regularity. Newcastle used to, and it, I'm sad. You know, I, I like the fact that we had we had three likable guys in charge who got on with the media who were doing decent jobs as well. But, uh, hey, let's let's see who we get at Sunderland. There's going to be a few more names uh, thrown out, and uh, who knows, there might be someone that we haven't even mentioned yet. Have, have you got a, um, a favourite for the job, Ian? I suspect, looking at the model Sunderland have, they will be looking on the continent. I There are managers in this country. People have mentioned John Eustace, who so unluckily lost his job at Birmingham, mm. but I, I think they'll be looking... Uh, at the continent to replace Tony Mowbray. Yeah, I mean there was there was a lot of talk, wasn't there, about um, early on in the week when the decision was made about Heckingbottom, um, and I think there was a uh, there was a feeling that you know being an ex Sunderland player he may come back and uh, but yeah I can't see that yeah I no I, that I, I think that would have probably happened before now I think there's there's obviously a lot there's a lot of miles yet still in this one. Yes, I think there will be an appointment this time next week, but I don't think it's imminent. Listen, Ian, thank you very much. Another great show. Have yourself a wonderful weekend, and we'll be out back and you, next Friday uh, after the Legends at 7. Um, yes, yeah. all the best. All the best to you, Ian. Enjoy your weekend, folks. Have a good one. <laughs>